Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live episode of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. With me, your host, Harry Simu. It's the big match preview and in focus today is Arsenal's FA Cup third round meeting with Liverpool scheduled to take place at the Emirates Stadium tomorrow afternoon. This is undoubtedly the tie of the round. It's undoubtedly the standout fixture. It's the one that I think if you are one of those people that isn't quite sure about the FA Cup anymore and as to whether or not it's worth your time, this is the one game across the weekend I think that you'll look at and you'll go, yeah, you know what, I'll make time for that. I actually personally quite like the look of the time with Derby as well. I think that would be fascinating uh, given the two teams haven't met in a while and all that rides on that and you know that being one of the fiercest rivalries in the country probably doesn't get spoken about enough. But Arsenal-Liverpool, undoubtedly the one. Uh, it really, really is, isn't it? Um, let me say a few hellos. Uh, big hello to NSW. Who says, first, Happy New Year, Harry. Happy New Year to you too. We've got Ayoku, uh, who joins us. Uh, it's 2.30 a.m. in British Columbia, Canada. He said, this better be a good show, Harry. I hope it will be. Uh, William joins us uh, from Montreal. Uh, he also goes on to say, almost nine minutes late on the live stream. Average is like five minutes. This is really poor, Harry. Uh, Tone says, I've gone to get more olive oil. <laughs> Big hello to Johan, to Steve, uh, to Andre as well. Shall I give you an excuse for being late this morning? The truth is I don't have one. The truth is I've been up since 4 a.m. Um, I was on the TalkSport weekend breakfast show this morning reviewing the papers. means you have to get in really, really early, go through the back pages um, obviously, with the help of some of the brilliant production team as well, come up with your angles, come up with which stories you feel are worth discussing and then go on air and uh, and discuss them with the brilliant um, Natalie Sawyer and Tony Cascarina. But it does mean a 3.45 a.m. wake up for me. And I was working last night as well at the um, the Brentford Wolves game. So at late night, early start, I am shattered, uh, to be honest with you. And I, I could feel myself starting to fall asleep once I got back home. So I thought, do you know what? I'm going to have a quick shower. Hopefully it wakes me up. I feel a lot better. Hopefully it's done the trick and that uh, we can get through another day. Um, earlier on in the chat, uh, NSW said, Happy New Year. And obviously I said Happy New Year back. Uh, I wish you all a Happy New Year. We've, we've said it on previous shows. But is there a cutoff point whereby you have to stop saying Happy New Year to people? What day in January is the cutoff point. You let me know in the chat, at what point in January do we stop saying Happy New Year to each other? Now, I was on the radio yesterday and I said it to all of my guests. Um, I said it to everyone that I spoke to. And probably three out of the five turned around and said, are we still saying Happy New Year? Well, for me, it was the first show of the year. So I felt the need to say Happy New Year. But there clearly is some kind of cutoff point in a lot of people's minds. Uh, so what is the cutoff point? Tohan says, um, the the sixth is a bit uh, late for me. Uh, NSW says January thirty fifth is that day, Harry. Look, I just think if it's the first time you're seeing someone in a new year within the month of January, it's um it's reasonable to say Happy New Year. I don't see the problem with it. Just being polite. Anyway, look, we're going to get into uh, this big big fixture um coming up uh, tomorrow afternoon. Of course, at the time of recording. I want to start off by talking a little bit about the FA Cup in general as a competition. I think every time we get to this point in the year where the third round comes around, we end up getting caught up in this discussion again around whether or not the FA Cup still has its magic, still has its significance. 
I think for most clubs, it does. I, I, I still think for most fans, the FA Cup is a special, special thing. I think when you get to a position as a football club where you're in the mix for Champions League football, you're in the mix for European football, um, generally speaking, that kind of takes priority. Now, I, a lot of fans will say, actually, I prefer to see my win, my side win a trophy than my side qualify for a competition that we have very little chance of winning. And so while I agree that the FA Cup is still special and still magical and all the rest of it, and I grew up on the FA Cup, so for me, it's a big deal. I do understand, even if I disagree, I do understand why people and why football clubs look at it and go, maybe th this can't be the priority. You know, you think about it this way. The prize money for winning the FA Cup is just a fraction of what you earn simply from qualifying for either the Champions League or the Europa League. Not too sure about how it compares to the Euro Europa Conference League, but I'd guess that you make more from the Europa Conference League than you would from an FA Cup run. Just knowing the kind of difference between what UEFA competitions seem to generate in terms of revenue um, in comparison to, to domestic cups. I asked Thomas Frank last night after the Brentford game. He was obviously a bit disappointed because his side had taken a lead. They had a man advantage for the best part of 80 minutes, but they couldn't get over the line. Um, and they ended up, you know, condemning themselves. I think that's the right word, given sort of the way Thomas Frank was talking about it post-match, condemning themselves to a replay. Now, when I spoke to Thomas Frank after the game, I said to him, look, I'm always intrigued as to how managers in the position that you find yourself in, for example, manage this balance between wanting to have a cup run, but also, you know, making sure that the league is your priority. Brentford are just four points away from the drop zone. And there is a point to this, that if you're sitting there thinking, why is he talking about Brentford? Uh, there's a point to be made at the end of this. They're just four points clear of the drop zone. And so the Premier League has to be the priority. They can ill afford to fall back down into the championship. I think Brentford are a really well-run football club and they'll probably be fine. But you never want to go back down, do you? Once you come up to the Premier League, you want to maintain that status for as long as possible. And that will be your priority. So I said to him, do you look at the cup run, given they've lost nine of their last 10 in the league, do you look at the cup run and go, well, you know what? This is an opportunity to rebuild some confidence that we can maybe take across into our Premier League fixtures and it could kickstart our campaign again. Or do you see this as an unwelcome distraction? Thomas Frank said, look, I love cup runs. I want to see my team go far in a cup, but I don't want replays. So what that kind of showed to me, and, and I know it's a very small sample size because I'm talking about one manager's opinion, but what it showed to me, what it told me is that for, for so many managers, the FA Cup does still have a special place. It is of great importance. It does mean a lot to the supporters. But the problem ultimately stems from the fixture schedule overall. And unless we take steps to deal with that and make that better and healthier, then we're always going to have this situation where clubs go into the third round of the FA Cup and have to make a decision with regards to how much it matters. And that wasn't the case many, many years ago. You also got to think about the timing of the third round as well. Now, it's tradition that it starts in January. And I'm not one to want to kind of rip up tradition and start again. But after you've just been through a grueling Christmas period where we're already having this debate every season about why nobody else in any other country has to deal with this kind of schedule around this time of year. 
you know, you've put the third round at the end of that really grueling, busy period. So it's even more likely that the managers of the bigger clubs, the managers that are fighting on multiple fronts, it's even more likely that they're going to take steps to rest and protect players, which impacts the quality of the competition, which in turn impacts the interest in the competition, which in turn impacts how much the TV rights are worth, which in turn impacts how much the FA can pay as prize money. And again, it goes back to that point I made right at the beginning. We've gone full circle here. Football clubs will look at it and go, this can't be my priority. And there you have the vicious cycle of why the FA Cup is not what it used to be. To me, it means a great deal personally. I grew up as a kid loving the FA Cup. If Arsenal had won the FA Cup when I was a kid growing up, I'd have enjoyed it just as much as Arsenal winning the Premier League. Now, I know that the league holds more weight and holds more value, but that just puts into context how highly I regarded this competition and I think a lot of fans, if you go back to sort of my generation and older, will say a similar thing. What's happened is that over the years, a lot of younger supporters have watched their clubs take a kind of more relaxed approach to the cup competitions with the narrative being peddled out all the time that Champions League, Europa League qualification is more important. And they've got into that mindset as well, whereby they don't really understand the magic of the FA Cup. And it's not their fault because they haven't experienced it. It's not their fault. I don't blame them. I, I think if I were 10 years younger, I'd probably look at the FA Cup in the way that a lot of the people I'm referring to do. But for me, it's got that special place in my heart because of all the memories, because of what it means, because of the history of it all. There's no better day out than going to Wembley and watching your team win the FA Cup. And we as Arsenal fans have been very fortunate to experience that on many occasions. So we're in a privileged position in that sense. But I think it's important that the big clubs, you know, do sort of make sure that they sort of, I, I guess, do their part in terms of protecting its heritage and protecting its importance. But while there is so much pressure with regards to fixture schedules and, and financials and all the rest of it, you know, maybe it's unfair to ask the big clubs and maybe they're not the ones that should be in the position where they're having to protect the competition. Maybe the FA and the Premier League can work in conjunction to try and, and, and you know, help the competition get back to close to what it was. I'm not naive enough to think it'll ever be what it was in the mid-90s, for example. You know, I'm not naive enough to think that. But there can certainly be steps taken to improve it. I think if you gave a Champions League qualification spot to the winner, I think that would bring a lot more of the the big clubs back to the table in terms of, you know, taking it seriously. I think there are a lot of things you can do. And I, as I say, if those clubs take it seriously, more seriously than they have done in recent years, that generates more interest, which generates more TV revenue, which improves the pot of money available to winners, which then leads to club owners going, yeah, you know what, actually, this is worthwhile. Let's have a crack at this as well. A lot of owners will tell you that they're in football for success and for trophies. A lot of the people that have accumulated enough money to buy football clubs, they got there because they're ruthless business people and because business is their number one priority. There are very few owners who would put, who would actually put success in terms of trophies and silverware ahead of financial gain. They might all tell you they want success and trophies and that's their number one priority, but we're not naive enough to think that's the case. 
After the short pause, uh, we're going to talk Mikel Arteta's press conference. He's been speaking ahead of this game against Liverpool. There were some interesting lines to come out of it. We'll touch on those in just a minute. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. If you're just joining us, be sure to leave a like on the live stream. Subscribe to the channel if you're brand spanking new. Um, and if you're listening on audio, please do leave us a review. Um, there's going to be some changes to the podcast that I've been kind of contemplating over the course of the Christmas New Year period where we just sort of wound it back a little bit. Um, I think they're positive changes. Um, I'm going to share them with you in a sort of dedicated segment post the Liverpool game. Um, and, I, and I also want to get your feedback as well on what I'm proposing. Um, so it's not anything major in terms of like the, the number of shows we do or anything like that. Um, just a, around some formats, around timings um, a, and around how that impacts our ability to get more guests on. I'm so grateful that you guys tune in every week, but I'm sure you'd like to hear other voices too. Um, and I'm keen to make that happen, but that's where the schedule issue for me becomes a problem. So I've been thinking about how I can work my way around that. And I think finally, after a couple of failed attempts, I found a way um, of making it a lot more consistent and hopefully a lot more appealing to you guys. But anyway, back to Mikel Arteta's press conference. Uh, he was asked, of course, uh, to provide a team um, update. And uh, Alexander Zinchenko, of course, was missing against Fulham. I thought we really missed him that day in terms of the ball progression, in terms of what he gives us in possession. Defensively, is he all that much better than Jakub Kivio? Probably not. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and pretend that he is and 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 do the classic, oh, well, he was missing, so, you know, he's the greatest thing ever. But once he comes back, I'm going to criticise him again. Um, but according to Mikel Arteta, he has uh, progressed well. Um, at the time of speaking, Mikel Arteta um, sort of uh, revealed that there was one more training session to go um, and that a decision will be taken after that. So Mikel keeping his cards close to his chest. Based on that, I think he probably will play. It was also asked about the decision uh, to keep Thomas Partey back or for Thomas Partey not to be uh, included in the Ghana squad. And he was asked a little bit um, about the negotiations that went on between Arsenal and the Ghanaian Football Association. He was asked if he could shed some light on that. And he, he basically said that the decision for Thomas Partey to stay back, given um, the injury that he's got, that he's still recovering from, that he's still working uh, back towards fitness from, it was just a common sense decision to, to keep him back. You know, the timeline is very um, short for Ghana and they will probably looked at him and thought, you know, the likelihood of him playing is very low. Therefore, why waste the space in our squad? As talented a footballer as he is, A, you're not going to get the best out of Thomas Partey because he's been out of the game for such a long time now. B, there's a risk that he doesn't play at all and that you end up short in an area of your team because you took a player that essentially is of no use to you within this time frame. And see, I think, you know, finally some common sense prevailed um, when it comes to discussions between a club and a national team because, you know, you don't want to do long-term damage to these players. And that's something that, you know, has always sparked the whole club versus country debate. You know, if you're an international manager, you get these players once every few months, you go to a tournament, you don't mind taking a risk with them. Because if you're if they're unfit then for the next three months, it has zero impact on you. So I, I was actually quite pleased to hear that, you know, the Ghanaian FA and Arsenal had come to, you know, a, a conclusion that I think makes a lot of sense and one that protects the best interests of the player, not just in the next few weeks, but beyond that as well. 
Uh, Mikel Arteta also said that Julian Timber is still very far from being available for selection. So people need to calm down about that. There's been lots going around, hasn't there, online that he's close, he's close, he's close. And, you know, many experts in the field have sort of come out and said, given the nature of the injury that he suffered, it's impossible that he's almost ready to come back. You know, it would just defy logic. And, and you know, it seems like that that was correct. Mikel Arteta said that Arsenal are open in the transfer market um, in terms of the potential of doing deals. But uh, the main emphasis and the main focus is around making the most of the players that we have. He also denied that, that the club have been in touch with the PGMOL regarding Bukayo Saka. There was a lot of talk about that over the last few days. It seemed to upset a lot of people that Arsenal had seemingly done this. Uh, Mikel Arteta comes out and denies it straight away. Don't know if he's telling the truth. Don't know that he's lying either. But, you know, it feels like the kind of thing that you would say regardless of whether it happened or not, just to kind of kill uh, that conversation. Um, he was also asked about the defeats against West Ham and Fulham. And as I've said to you guys on multiple occasions over the last few days, yes, Fulham got to me because the performance was so bad. West Ham, not so much, because I thought the performance, for the most part, missing one ingredient, pretty much, was there. Um, uh, there was a really good line that he gave, and I, I thought this was probably the highlight of the press conference, actually, um, where he said, there's a temptation to look back on those games with a microscope, but I prefer to look with a telescope and look at and analyse things with perspective. Um, looking at the future, looking at the wider picture. And I really like that because I think it's a good way of summarising it. Because if you think about it, people kept saying, you know, they've lost three out of their last five in the Premier League. We lost at Villa. I thought we played really well that day. We lost against West Ham where I thought we played, for the most part, pretty well that day. And then we got beat at Fulham where we were dreadful. If there's one game that rings alarm bells, it's the Fulham one for me. You can lose a game in the Premier League. It's why people keep saying this is the best league in the world because anybody can beat anybody. Well, you can't say that on the one hand and then when you see a team lose, call it a disaster and a catastrophe. I've heard it labelled as a catastrophe. I was on TalkSport yesterday with Rory Jennings and he said it, was a, it would be a catastrophe if Arsenal went out of the cup tomorrow. And I disagree. There is just this huge want and desire to blow everything out of proportion to to, to be sensationalist. And it drives me mad. It really, really does. Um, Mikel Arteta was talking about the atmosphere of the Emirates. It was compared to Anfield. You know, how could he make it more like Anfield? I think was along the lines of the question uh, that was asked. And he said, look, um, we could make it a little bit more hostile. That's the next step, in my opinion. Mikel Arteta has been very good throughout his Arsenal tenure, I think, at planting little seeds like that. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then... 
place a $5 wager on any sport, you'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. From issuance, please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Putting things out into the ether, knowing that we as fans are going to pick up on them and hopefully take what he said on board. Um, When he was asked how that happens, he said, look, some of the games that we're going to play in the Champions League and some of the big games that are going to be coming up um, will obviously impact atmospheres. But also, if the fan, uh, if the players, I beg your pardon, show some, um, you know, show some aggression and that little bit of bite, then he says that that will transmit across to the crowd as well. Now, of course, there is the potential that Arsenal versus Liverpool goes to a replay if there's a draw after 90 minutes. That is what happens uh, in the FA Cup, even to this day. Uh, despite Thomas Frank telling me that he thinks it's outdated. The problem is, is that if that replay does happen, Arsenal's mid-season break gets cut short. And that'll be really, really frustrating for Arsenal because I think they need a bit of a reset. I think they need a bit of time to go away, do some warm weather training and kind of just refresh themselves ahead of what's going to be a grueling um, last part of the season. So obviously, I think Arsenal would prefer to avoid the replay. I'm not saying that they'd be happy to go out Liverpool are pretty much in the same boat, though, as well. And it's really interesting because Liverpool have a game in midweek in a cup semi-final. Will they think about that when it comes to their team selection? Jurgen Klopp's been saying that they're going to take it seriously and that the most enjoyable season of his career was the one they were challenging on multiple fronts. So I think he is going to, um, I think he is at least saying he's going to go for it. Whether that is reflected in his team selection, though, with Jurgen Klopp, I guess you never really know. He was also asked about uh, Fabio Vieira, who he says um, he's doing pretty well and hopefully he'll be back within the next few weeks. He said that there were two things that needed correcting um, when he went underwent surgery. Um, and that obviously leads to a slightly longer delay when it comes to the return. Um, he also said Emil Smith-Rowe will have chances. And there was a, a question put to him by Kaya Kainak, who said, look, what would you do if Emil comes and knocks on your door at the end of the season and says, boss, look, I love it here, but I'm not playing. I need, I need to go elsewhere. What would you do? And Mikel Arteta he kind of danced around the question, but what he did say and the point I took away from it was, you know, it's a two-way street. I, I need the player to be happy, but I need to be happy as well. Um, I need to be convinced and know that what we're doing is the right thing for the squad as well as the individual too. Um, and that, I thought that was interesting because he didn't rule out this idea of like, you know, Emil Smith-Rowe coming to him and saying, I want to go. And how can he? You know, the guy's been so limited in terms of the number of games and the number of minutes that he's been able to get in recent times. Some of that's been down to Mikel Arteta and the decisions he's made, but some of that's been down to injuries as well. Injuries have played a huge part in Emil Smith-Rowe's falling out of the side. And whenever it feels like he's on a, a pathway to restoring his position within the first sort of 14, 15 players, he gets hit again. And and as a manager, 
you got sympathy for the guy and, and, and you want him to come good and you want to give him the opportunities and create the environment in which he can succeed. But you also can't rely on people that are constantly letting you down. And that brings me nicely on to um, Thomas Partey. Um, you know, we've touched on him already, but it was interesting to hear Mikel Arteta talk about how he had different plans for Thomas Partey this season. He was going to use him um, in a more versatile role. He wanted to make Arsenal a little bit more unpredictable. And he also alluded to the fact that Jurian Timber was a big part of that as well. And without those two players, he's not necessarily been able to execute the plan that he went into the season with. So maybe that shed some light on why things are different at Arsenal this season. Nobody's denying that Mikel Arteta has changed things. Nobody's denying that Arsenal are a different side to the one they were last season. But perhaps we're not seeing the side that Mikel Arteta wanted them to be. And we're seeing a slightly different variation of that as a result of those players being injured, out, unavailable, etc., etc. And look, we've talked a lot about minutes this season. We've talked a lot about burnout, tiredness, all the rest of it. Um, he did make a point about sort of Arsenal's Champions League adaptation this season. And he said last season, he didn't specify how many minutes, but he said last season, we had one player within the group that met this particular threshold when it comes to minutes played. This time around, at the same stage, we've got 14 players who have made that threshold. And a lot of that has to do with being in the Champions League. When you're in the Europa League, you make more changes, you can get away with it, et cetera, et cetera. You can't always do that um, in the Premier League. So those were the key points from uh, Premier League and Champions League, I should say. Those were the key points from Mikel Arteta's press. We're going to take another very, very, very brief pause. When we come back, I'm going to share with you guys the 11 I'd like to see, what I expect uh, from this fixture, um, why it's so important to Arsenal. And I'll take a few of your questions before we sign out at the end with a prediction. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Okay, so is it a must win for Arsenal? Is it a must win for Liverpool? It, it's, it's a weird one because had Arsenal been on a really, really good run of form, I would be looking at this in a far more relaxed way. I'd be looking at it and thinking, if we can beat Liverpool, great. It's a statement against a title rival. Also eliminates one of the other big clubs from the cup competition and takes you a step closer to silverware. Great. But if we lose, given that I want us to maintain our title charge and go far in the Champions League, and that means more to me this particular season, then, you know, if we went out, I'd, I'd kind of be like, okay, like, I wouldn't be happy, but I, I think I'd be able to live with it. The problem we've got at the moment is that we enter this game off the back of that disappointing run, which has seen us lose a bit of ground at the top of the Premier League. Now, we're not in a position whereby the damage inflicted by West Ham and Fulham has been fatal and our title hopes are dead, but it's certainly going to be a lot harder um, now because of that gap between ourselves and Liverpool. Manchester City have got a game in hand as well, which isn't great. And you know they've got KDB and Haaland to return as well, which is only going to strengthen them. We know that traditionally they're very good in the second half of the season. But I think this game, from an Arsenal point of view, has taken on greater significance now because of the fact that we've had those poor results. And this is an opportunity against high-caliber opposition to get back on track. Now, you know, we might go into the next round and get Manchester City and get knocked out and not win the FA Cup and not go far in the FA Cup. But I think right now we need a bit of a boost. 
I'm glad the game's at home, obviously. Um, and in a weird way, a fixture like this can be more beneficial than a fixture like Huddersfield at home. Because obviously the game's harder, but the reward that is there to be gained in terms of the psychology of it all is far greater when you play against opposition of Liverpool's calibre than it is against Huddersfield. Obviously it works both ways because the reverse of that, the flip of that, is that actually your chances of winning it are significantly less. But you get what I'm trying to say here. This could be the perfect fixture for Arsenal. It could also be the worst possible fixture. If Liverpool were to win handsomely, the questions that you've been hearing about Mikel Arteta and the questions about his team and his system and his tactics and his approach and the way he's tweaked things this season, they'll all get louder and louder and louder. And all of a sudden, the stigma around Arsenal is completely different to what it was four or five weeks ago. To put, Look, go back to Christmas. Okay, what are we talking about? 10 days ago, 11 days ago? We were top of the league and we were supposedly, at the time, the best team in England. That's what the league table was telling us. You don't go from that to being useless over the course of 10 days, 11 days. We've seen in football in the past that a certain run of fixtures, a group of fixtures around a certain period can cause you problems and can ultimately cause you fatal damage. But I don't really see it like that at this stage. Having said that, the fact that we're in the Champions League and Liverpool aren't maybe makes the FA Cup more important to them. And that's the bit I'm struggling with. I'm trying to figure out to whom this is more important. And I think we're going to know a lot when we see the team news uh, around about an hour before kickoff tomorrow afternoon because, you know, I think Arsenal will go pretty strong. Um, as for Liverpool, I'm not really sure. I think there'll be some changes. Look, they're going to be without Endo. They're without Mohamed Salah. They're going to be without Dominic Soboslai, who we've heard has got a muscle injury. So can Jurgen Klopp shuffle the pack that much? Or will he be forced almost to play a stronger team than maybe he would have liked under normal circumstances? The same can be said of Mikel Arteta. There are certain players that we just can't afford to rest because we've got injuries in areas that prevent us backfilling those positions. And then you start going into the territory of, well, now we're really weak. And then you run the risk of being humiliated, which is not what the Arsenal boss will want just now. Anyway, the starting eleven that I would go with is this. I'd go with David Raya in goal. He's clearly the number one at Arsenal right now. Um, Aaron Ramsdale will be desperate to get an opportunity. There'll be a lot of fans out there that will say he's a cup goalkeeper, bring him in, etc., etc. But to me, this is a game in which you need to go with your best 11. And that's exactly what I've done in my team selection. I've gone with Raya in goal. I've gone with White, Saliba, Gabriel and Zinchenko across the back line, assuming the Ukrainian is fit enough to return. My midfield will be Rice, Havertz and Erdegaard. I talk a lot about that balance and I talk a lot about the control that you need in the midfield. I think against Liverpool, who are going to be pretty front-footed in their midfield as well, particularly without Endo to bring them that defensive balance, I think you could probably get away with this midfield um, and it's one that can hurt them. I'd go with Saka on the right, Martinelli on the left and Gabriel Jesus through the middle. So that would be my starting eleven to face Liverpool um, in the FA Cup. Some of you will agree, some of you would disagree, some of you will throw a Smith row in there, I'd imagine. Um, some people have been telling me on Twitter that they'd put Reese Nelson in the side. Um, you know, some have said that they'd rest one of Saliba or Gabriel. I just think, given we've got a nice rest after this game, assuming it doesn't go to a replay, I would I would go strong and I would try to to squeeze out as much benefit from this awkward FA Cup tie as possible. Because even if we do go out, but we you know, we put in a good performance or we get a draw. 
hard fought draw and we we look good on the day you know it, it goes some way doesn't it in restoring the faith in this team and it will go some way in restoring their confidence as players so that's what i'd go with let me know uh, your thoughts in the live chat as well if you're watching this back later let me know your thoughts in the comments section below so that's my 11 to face liverpool in the fa cup <laughs> In terms of my prediction, I, I keep saying about how this could be a, a really big afternoon for Arsenal, how it could, um, you know, kickstart our campaign again, how it could see us move back on track. My heart says that Arsenal win this, but my head says it's going to be a 1-1 draw. So that's my prediction uh, for the game. Let me know your predictions in the live chat box as well. Um, yeah, that that's how I see it going. I don't think there's much between the two sides at the moment. I think the game at Anfield recently in the league showed that um, I think you're going to get a similar type of game, even if there are a few changes on either side. Um, but I think there's very little to separate these two sides at the moment. Liverpool um, are in better form. There's no doubt about that. But Arsenal have the home advantage, which I think is what levels this out for me. So Arsenal one, Liverpool one is my prediction. Right. Another short pause, then a few of your questions and then I'm signing out. <laughs> Okay, let's have a look in the chat box and see what you guys are saying. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. Um, this is not Arsenal related, but Mohamed asks, what are my thoughts on Spurs being close to landing Timo Werner on loan? Um, could Arsenal have done this? <sighs> Timo Werner falls into that category of, and I say this with inverted commas, Chelsea flop. And I know that there's a lot of Arsenal fans out there that wouldn't tolerate that signing um, if it was one that they were they heard Arsenal were on the verge of making. I actually think, and it might be an unpopular opinion, that Timo Werner could do quite well at Spurs under Ange Postacoglu. I think his style of play is probably quite well suited to Timo Werner. I was surprised to read it this morning that they're supposedly closing in on a six-month loan deal for the player. I don't think it's a disastrous um, transfer, the, the, the disastrous transfer that some would have you believe it is. But, um, you know, Tottenham are probably willing to take that gamble. Why? Because it's risk-free. It's a loan deal. Apart from paying some wages and a maybe minimal loan fee, that's about it. Um, let's see uh, what else we've got. Henry says, uh, good morning, H. I'm going to go 3-1 Arsenal tomorrow. Keep the faith. Come on, you gunners. I wish some of our fan base went through what we did in the mid-70s and early 80s. Then they would throw their dummies out of out of the pram. Yeah, and my dad always says this to me. He's always like, you know, you lot moan, you lot complain, but you lot don't realise actually how um, how good you've got it as Arsenal supporters, you know, in terms of what you've seen. My dad often talks about the dross that we saw uh, sort of during that period that you've, uh, you've highlighted there. Um, Russ Morgan says, uh, if Ramsdale doesn't play, he won't be cup-tied. I could see him being sold or loaned out this month. I don't think, um, and from what I've been told, I, I don't believe Arsenal have any intention of uh, of moving Aaron Ramsdale out of the football club between now and the end of the window. I think a summer move is a real possibility, of course, um, but I don't think that he is going to um, be allowed to leave in January unless there's significant movement and an opportunity maybe for Arsenal to pick up another goalkeeper comes along. Uh, Richard Huntington says, what happens if Arsenal lose on Sunday? Nothing. They're out of the FA Cup. That's it. Um, you know, you can't you can't dwell on results for too long. You know, if, if we go out of the FA Cup, we're still in the league with a good shout. And although people will be disappointed if we don't charge for the title, and I agree, and I'll feel the same, 
you know, first and foremost, we need to get back in the Champions League. I, I said it last season. Qualifying for the Champions League, it's great. Happy days, hurrah. But it doesn't mean anything unless you consistently do it. You've got to keep doing it. You've got to keep going back. That's how you reestablish yourself as one of the European powerhouses. You need to constantly be in Europe's premier competition. So we'll still have plenty to play for. We've got to, you know, cement our place in the Champions League next season. And we're still in that competition this season. And I really do believe we can go far in it. So, yeah, there'll be questions and there'll be a post-mortem, obviously, as there always is, after an Arsenal defeat. But in terms of your question, what will happen if Arsenal lose on Saturday? I don't know what you're expecting me to say. Are you expecting me to say that Mikel has to go? Or that, you know, Arsenal are going to start questioning whether he's the right man? Because I don't think that will be the case. I really don't. Um... Okay, let's see uh, what else we've got. Uh, Hacker makes an interesting point about Jesus. He says, I've always thought Jesus is the is at his best when he's not at the tip of a diamond. He needs some traffic in front to sneak in. Yeah, I think he did that really well last season, sort of drifting into other areas of the pitch. And there were runs coming from midfield that were sort of attracting attention and creating in those spaces. This is a good point. Um, Jid says, why is there an obsession with transfers? Arteta's already... Um, has his preferred starting eleven. So, which position was would we buy starters for? Our squad is also um, our squad also has more depth than most big teams. There is depth when everyone's fit. The problem is in modern day football, especially that it's very rare that you have everybody fit, and we seem to lose players for long periods of time, which handicaps us for long periods of time. Um, look, Arteta is clearly open to doing some business. Don't expect business, uh, big business. I've been saying this for a few weeks now. Everyone keeps telling me I'm just defending the club. No, I'm not. I'm just telling you what I think is going to happen. You're asking me my opinion and I'm giving you my opinion. Um, And I don't think that Arsenal are going to go big in this transfer window. I think, as I always say, January is the type of window where if an opportunity presents itself, you go out there, you make it happen. But it isn't a window I expect Arsenal to be massively proactive in, um, in, in terms of bringing people in. You know, you don't know how long Partey is going to be out for. And if it's a month from today, then are you going to go and drop 50, 60 million pound on a midfielder that you don't think is better than Thomas Partey, for example? Or do you make do for the month? It's the same with Timber, you know, and Tomiyasu. You know, Tomiyasu is going to be away for three, four weeks. If you can't find a player of that caliber and it's going to cost you a significant amount of money, are you going to do it for the sake of three, four weeks? Now, as a, a fan, you might turn around at the end of the season and say, the fact that we didn't do that cost us and left us in the position that we ended up in. But as a club, they won't look at it like that. They'll look at it again through a, a more business orientated lens. They'll look at it, you know, through uh, a financial uh, sort of viewpoint, which might be very, very different. Look, guys, I'm going to leave it there. Um, thank you all so, so much for joining me. I really, really do appreciate it. We'll be back um Monday morning, I think, um, with the review of the Liverpool game. We'll do it in detail. We'll do it well. Um, you know, maybe we'll bring you some instant reaction tomorrow, just depending on how it goes and depending on my mood at the time. But thank you, as always, for tuning in. Really, really appreciate it. Um, if you're watching this back on playback or listening to it on audio, leave us your prediction in the comments. Any issues with my lineup, let me know, um, and I will speak to you all very, very soon. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to the Chronicles of Aguda podcast. Until the next one. Goodbye.